Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man who has found the Christmas spirit. It was on aisle two of the liquor store all this time. It was Dale. Yeah, who would who would have known? That's right. It's right there in front of you. Yeah, and then never went to the second aisle. I was always on the first one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Should have turned the corner and get on down. Yeah. <laughs> just go all the way down the aisle and there it is. Yeah, I'll get to the fireball and turn around. That's as far as I need to go. Yeah, that's, that's your Christmas spirit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> What's going on, dude? Oh, same old, same old, man. Same old, same old. Well, you know, a little Christmas spirit ain't never heard of. Yeah, that's right. It's good being the Christmas spirit. That's right. Yep. Do good unto all. Hey, and speaking of doing good. Hey, how about that? Yeah, bring it on. A brand new Apple Podcast review. We have another five-star review, and this comes from our friend Donna Jolly, who says simply, love it. Love the podcast, and keep them coming. Man. How how good is that? Donna Jolly, thank you very much. That's a little Christmas gift to us, hey. (laughs) We appreciate that, Donna. Thank you very much, and anybody else want to be like Donna? And jump on there and give us a Apple five star review. We would appreciate it. Leave something in the comment box, and we will gladly give you a shout out. We definitely will. Happy, happy. That's just, that's just awesome. It is. I love that people do that. Good, good folks. Man. And you can also uh, leave a five star on Spotify. And there's a little questionnaire at the end of each episode. You can tell us what you think about the episode. That's right. You sure can. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. That's good stuff, man. Uh-huh. Get in there and do it. Yep. Anything else you got before we get going? Yeah, I don't guess so, man. I think uh, we'll just get it and just make a holiday wish come true. We're going to get one more one more this year anyway. Yeah, this is our Christmas episode we're doing, dude. It is. Merry and, Christmas. Yeah, and this, uh, we're back in North Carolina for this one. Ooh. Yeah. Bring it back home, huh? Yeah, we were in California for the last few episodes. and We had to come home for Christmas. How about we that? We did. We're back in North I'll Carolina. be home. Yep, we are. For Christmas. But we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to a town called Germantown. Germantown, not to be confused with. German town. Right. This is German ton. You put that W in there, you're gonna to have to go way on down the road a little bit. Yeah, it's down there in the eastern part of the state for the <laughs> German town. But we're in German ton. Is there a turn a ton of German folks there or something? Yeah, and well Germantown is a unincorporated community and a census designated place. And it's in Forsyth and Stokes counties. I guess it's between counties. Okay. Yeah, it's a little community there. And you're right here in North Carolina? Well, yep. that ain't too far down the road. Yep, and it's located 13 miles south of the Stokes County seat of Danbury here in North Carolina. Danbury. Yep. Well, it's not that far up the road, really. No? Not from where we're at. A couple hours, maybe. Yeah, a couple hours, yeah. But this is where our story's taking place this week, dude. All righty. And we're going back. We're going way back. Going back. To the early 1900s for this one. Ooh, you way back. Yep, this is... uh, Talking about the Lawson family murders we're talking mm. about. Yeah. Okay. But the patriarch of the family, his name was Charlie Lawson. Charlie. And just a little bit of background on Charlie Lawson. He was born on May the 10th, 1886, to parents Augustus and Nancy Lawson. Augustus, that's a cool name. Yeah. In the unincorporated community of Lawsonville, North Carolina. So I, I just wonder if that was named after them. Yeah, could have been. They lived there, so we're just going to name this little place after us. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of odd, isn't it? Yeah. He had married a lady by the name of Fanny Manwaring, and Fanny was born on October the 13th of 1892 in Stokes County, North Carolina. And her parents were John Washington Manwaring and Ona Lee Manwaring. And after they got married, they started having kids, man. Right off the bat. They did. They didn't waste no time. Well, back, you know, that was the, the thing to do back in there. You know, you had to get some folks to help you on the farm. Yeah. You had to make your own make your own help. <laughs> sort of. But because uh, Charlie and his family, they were sharecroppers. Yes. They were growing tobacco. Mm-hmm. 
and that's what they did. But if anybody don't know what a sharecropper is, that's a, a system where the landlord... Landowner. Yeah, landlord, landowner allows a tenant to use the land in exchange for a share of the crop. Right. Well, basically, they come in, they have to do all the work, provide all the the, the seed or whatever you're going to plant. you got to do everything, do the work, work the field, do it all. And then whatever you get, they come and take their part for the rent, and whatever's left, you get to have. Yes. They have an agreement at the beginning, and that's what they do. Yeah, and sometimes they make a little bit of money, and sometimes they make no money. Yeah. So just depending on the crop and how how much you uh, it goes when it goes to sale, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you have a really good year, I guess it's decent. But it was a, you know you just do it for a while and in hopes. I guess most people uh, was hoping to save up enough maybe to get their own farm. But you, you're not going to get rich being a sharecropper. Yeah, but the sharecropper, the landowner, they would sometimes do this where the tenant would remain tied to them and it would barely make enough to be able to get by with without making where they a can't lot. Go nowhere. exactly. Yeah, yeah kind of like a thing and i remember my grandparents talking about that my grandparents were sharecroppers hmm. and i remember them talking about that years and years ago so yes yeah, but i guess back in you didn't really have a whole lot of choice i mean there ain't a whole lot of stuff to do you could be somebody's got a lot of land and they go, yeah sure you can use my land but this is the deal yeah you gotta have to get part of it or, or part of the profit yeah yeah so, for you staying here and yeah yeah so i guess if you didn't have land you didn't have a whole lot of choice truthfully that's right and this was in the, in the 20s so you know, and, and after years and years of being on the on that uh, sharecropper deal, there, he actually had scraped up enough money to uh, actually buy himself a farm. And uh, his brother had had his own farm near where they were, and then he finally saved up enough money to be able to buy the farm that was next to his brother's. And I think it was a hundred and twenty acres. It was a lot. Yeah, he said he had actually saved up enough money, and then went to the bank and borrowed thirty five hundred dollars to buy this. This uh, farm, it was a big uh, a house or cabin-like with a couple barns and a backer barn and 120-something acres. And then his payments was going to be $500 a year. So then, so they finally had their own place. They did. And uh, so they started farming that, and they were farming tobacco and doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I think Charlie was making money uh, growing his own tobacco. Yeah, he was doing good. Yeah. I think. I mean, I don't want to think great, but he, was doing, he wasn't bad, and they were making money. Mm-hmm. But like I said, Charlie and Fanny, they started having kids pretty quick. And they had a daughter. Her name was Marie. And then they had a son, Arthur, who went by Buck. Yeah. And then they had a daughter, Carrie. Well, they had William in between. Yeah, William, he died. Yeah, he died at six years old, but he's, he was still in the line. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they started in 1912. Marie was born in 1912, Buck 1913, and then uh, William in 1914. Yes. Then they had Carrie. Right. And they had a daughter, another daughter, Maybell. Right. And then they had a son, James, another son, Raymond, and then they had a infant. She was Mary Lou. Right. Yeah. Well, they was all infants when they had them. Well, yeah, but uh, at the time <laughs> of the story, time, yeah. at the time of the story, yeah. Anyway, William passed away in 1920, so I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, he died of pneumonia is what had been reported. Correct. Yeah. But a few days before Christmas in 1929, Charlie had made a, an unusual request to his wife and his family. He had told them that he wanted everybody to get ready and we're going into town. And he wanted them to buy anything they wanted at the store as far as an outfit goes. Yeah. No were. matter what the cost. Yeah, and which is really rare for them because, you know, most sharecroppers and stuff, You, especially when you have stair-step children, you basically mean, you know, one right after the other. Hand-me-downs is the name of the game. That's right. You know, because they're growing out of them faster than they can wear them out. So, mm-hmm. you know, whatever he's wearing 
couple months you're really wearing it that's exactly right so that's the way they did so all getting new clothes was really exciting yeah that was going to be the big surprise they can get whatever they wanted in clothes no matter what the cost mm-hmm. and this was going to be part of their big christmas surprise mm-hmm. and charlie also had another objective in mind after they got their clothes he was going to take the family to a nearby photography studio and have a family portrait made first one ever yes yep pretty neat neat stuff back in mm-hmm. and after both of these things were done the family were finished for the day they went back home yep and life went on as normal everything was great until christmas day 1929 mm-hmm. now on christmas day morning fanny she woke up early and she began tending to the fire and preparing breakfast and their oldest daughter marie she was helping and she was making a christmas cake yeah she was quite the cook i hear yeah and actually it was a raisin cake if what had been reported yep it was a cake with uh, like white or vanilla icing with uh, raisins all over it. like dotted dotted yeah. on it yeah yeah they can keep them raisins yeah <laughs> so <laughs> them old grapes yeah but by around 10 a.m the family had several visitors that had came out to the house right and several neighborhood men and older boys had gathered there at the lawson farm to shoot their guns and target practice yeah that's having some fun little shooting contests that morning yeah and even charlie joined them and he seemed to be pretty ordinary doing yeah. his doing his thing yeah, yeah. they all had the guns out there shooting having a good day yep and around lunchtime the group of men they dispersed back to their own homes right leaving only charlie and buck and there was another guy there from the neighborhood and a relative named sanders yeah that's all i know too sanders. yeah he had spent the night with the family mm-hmm. and they realized that they were running low on ammunition. Right, and they was really wanting to go rabbit hunting that afternoon because that was the big Christmas thing, to go rabbit hunting, maybe throw a rabbit in the pot and have some stew, and it was a big deal. So uh, Charlie suggested that uh, about Buck and Sanders walk to Germantown to buy more shells. And even though it was Christmas Day, and most of the shops would be closed, that uh, a lot of the places the owners kind of lived on the premises and they would uh, open up and sell you boxes. Yeah. yeah. But so what was crazy about this Christmas deal they had had a big snow. They did. Yeah, they did, and which is really unusual for North Carolina. Very rare. Yes, but they had a, quite a snow that night before. Yeah, but nobody was mad because it was Christmas. Seemed special. Yeah. Yeah. But the boys, they walked to Germantown to get the ammo. Yeah, and it just depends on where you are is how far it was. I've seen where it's a few miles, it's 15 minutes, and I've seen where it took a couple hours. But if it was several miles, you ain't going in 15 minutes. Yeah. Not, especially in the snow. But meanwhile, two of the children carrie and maybell they were about to leave the house and they were going to their uncle elijah's house yes where they had planned to spend the night with his family which is charlie's brother yep Mm -hmm. now marie she was fixing her hair in preparation for a visit to a church for a christmas program that evening she was going to go with her boyfriend yes yes and buck wasn't due back from germantown for at least 30 minutes right so it's a pretty good walk yep now charlie lawson he had grabbed his gun and he walked about 500 yards to the tobacco barn yeah and there he gathered other guns and he laid in wakedale right yeah he got the guns he'd been using for target practice and gathered them up and went out to the tobacco barn and as carrie and maybell passed by the barn on their way to their uncle's house yeah the road it kind of it was an old stagecoach uh road i think and it kind of curved out and went and then it turned and went kind of sharp curve right and it went down in front of the tobacco barn yep and charlie stepped out and he shot carrie in the head yep and startled and frightened, Maybell turned to run back to the house, but was shot in the back left side. Mm-hmm. 
Then Charlie grabbed a nearby piece of wood and bludgeoned both of them until they stopped moving. Right. I did see where at one time he went to go check on the two right after. And he also had a rifle, you know, uh, I don't forget the caliber. But anyway, he went to check and Carrie was dead right off the bat. And uh, Maybell was still breathing. So he shot both of them in the head with a rifle, then took the piece of wood and bludgeoned them. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, pretty, pretty messy. Yep. And after it was over, Charlie dragged their bodies into the tobacco barn. And he carefully placed stones under their heads like pillows Weird. and folded their arms across their chest and closed their eyes. What was left of it, I guess. Yeah, and then he latched the barn door and went back to the house. And you can imagine, it, especially in the snow. Yeah. Ooh. But see, I'm sure Fanny, his wife, had heard gunshots, but she was just used to people out there shooting. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. And then when he got back to the house, Fanny was next, who was on the porch gathering wood for the wood stove yeah she had came out of the house basically she had she had already been done with the cooking everything was cleaned up she was trying to take a little rest realized that uh, the stove needed a little bit of wood so she went out to grab up some wood mm-hmm. and that's when uh, she turned to see charlie and he shot her he did and the noise from him shooting fanny drew marie's attention yeah because she was in the house yep and uh, marie ran to the window and saw fanny's body lying on the front porch yeah, and you know that's gonna freak her out yeah so she kind of just run and run to the front porch and then flung the door open and seen her daddy standing there and started screaming for him to stop. Yes. And Charlie struck Fanny in the head with the butt of his gun. Yeah. yeah right as she was screaming for him to stop. Yeah. So then he just turned and shot Marie right in the door. Yeah. And then just kind of pers- blew her back into the house. It's crazy. And then proceeded to murder the remaining children in the house. Well, yeah. After that, the boys were freaking out, right? Yes, they were. You still got, you know, James and Raymond. They're still young boys and they run. And uh, James had actually run up the stairs and went into his uh, hide under his bed. And his dad went in there, got him, and jerked him out from under the bed and took the butt of the gun and bludgeoned him to death. He didn't even shoot him. Mm-mm. And when he turned, the other boy had ran and tried to hide behind the stove. Raymond, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he actually was trying to pry the stove out of the way with his shotgun and bent a barrel on it. And then finally got a hold of him, pulled him out, and took the butt of the gun and killed him, too. I think Charlie even singed his clothes trying to get him out yeah. from behind the stove. Yeah, ruined his gun. So he cut, well, I guess it didn't matter, really, but he just took the took the butt and just bludgeoned him to death. He did. I mean, dude, this is pretty rough to me because, I mean, I, I know a lot of people say, you know, up-close stuff's a lot real personal, but this is your own family. You, it is. You shooting him with a gun is bad, but just taking a the butt of a gun and just smashed it into them till they just basically crushed her skull mm-hmm. that's wow and the baby the four-month-old maybell was laying there in the crib oh yeah i'm sure she's screaming screaming and hollering then that's when he took the butt of the gun and just bashed her in the head yeah same way yeah so he killed all three youngest ones without firing a shot i know and Charlie took pillows from the beds and placed them underneath their heads and crossed their arms on their chest. Like yeah, he, done. he went up to their beds and actually brought their pillows. He took them all down to the living room, laid them out, laid the baby in his wife's arms, and then laid them all out like they were having a damn sleepover. Yeah, and then closed their eyes. Yeah. Crazy, man. And at the same moment, Elijah Lawson and his two sons, this was Charlie's brother, Elijah, Yep. They were out hunting and decided to go visit the Lawson household. Yeah, they'd been rabbit hunting, and uh, one of the younger boys had actually bagged him a rabbit and had it tied to his belt, and he was running up there with excitement. This is the two that the two younger girls were actually going to go visit at the time when he killed them out to the tobacco barn. That's right. But they were going to the Lawson house to visit them and wish them a Merry Christmas. Yeah, so they were stopping there because they were walking right by to go back home. 
and they were the first ones to find the bodies in the house. Yeah, the youngest boy ran in the house, and then they, he went to yell Merry Christmas, and what he saw just kind of took him out. It did, yeah. So when uh, Elijah, which is Charlie's brother, he didn't ever go in the house. He looked in the window and seen all the blood flipped him out, too. Yeah. And that's when the boys run back out of the house, and they said they thought they heard a noise upstairs, but they weren't sure. Yeah. And the news began to spread pretty quick on this. Yeah, I and, think that's when they went to get the, the police. Yeah. And visitors began to show up to the household almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And Buck and Sanders had just made it to Germantown when they heard what had happened. They'd actually got stopped on the way back by Marie's boyfriend. Yeah. He was, he'd heard about it, and he was going to get Buck in town. He saw him walking back down the road and yeah. stopped and told him what had happened. Yeah, and the whole time Charlie sent him to go get more ammunition i think he just did that to get rid of uh get a bug in his friend yeah and we're going to talk it, about this a little bit more yeah he had while plenty of shells in his pocket took place yeah but like i said the news about this uh, spread pretty quick oh gosh I'm sure. yeah you know back then i mean i'm sure stuff happened but not near like today you know from now you see stuff like this well not like this but people killing people every day ain't no big deal the way it kind of comes across now but back then it was this would be our super shock to the community and eventually, Sheriff John Taylor from Danbury and Dr. Hesselbeck, he was the official coroner, and the town doctor arrived, and the area was roped off. Mm-hmm. And a few hours after the murders took place, people at the house heard a gunshot from a nearby wooded area. Mm. And a member of the crowd that was there at the house went towards the noise and noticed footsteps of a single person in the deep snow. Yep. And following the footsteps... They went and they found the body of Charlie Lawson lying in the snow. Mm-hmm. And there was a well-worn path that was around the tree where it looked like somebody had been pacing. Yeah, they walked, They uh, followed his tracks through the snow all the way down, and that's how they found exactly where he was. And when they got down there to where he was, he was, like, leaning up against the tree. And uh, said that the path around the tree was like there was almost no snow because he had walked around so many times that it had melted the snow. Before he sat down, he shot himself in the chest. Yeah, blowed a hole in his chest, yeah. Killed himself. But nobody could figure out why Charlie would have done this. Yeah, what the hell happened? Yeah, and there were many theories on it, and they was trying to decipher some of this stuff. And just going back a little bit, uh, Charlie had visited this Dr. Hesselbeck at one point because he had been working in his barns, and he'd got... I, I guess bludgeoning the head with a mattock. Yeah, what he was doing, he was digging a, a drain ditch in the tobacco barn. Yes. Because uh, it had flooded. He was digging it out, but he, he was digging near a, 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 some type of fence. It was a wire fence. And while he was digging with a mattock, and if you don't know what a mattock is, it's kind of like a it's a double-headed instrument. One side is kind of like an extended hoe, and the other side is kind of like a spike. A pick. Instrument. Yeah, like a pick. So pick it's actually like yeah. a, a hoe and a pick put together, kind of sort of, but the blades are longer. Yeah. And uh, he had got it caught in the fence, and when he had jerked it loose, it actually hit him in the forehead. Yes, and that's it did. happened. That's why he went to this Dr. Hesselbeck. Yeah. And then they finally knew it was, it was bad, but it wasn't real bad. You know, it was busted open. It was bleeding pretty bad because, you know, that's what happens in your forehead. It's going to bleed pretty bad. But he also had two really, really bad black eyes for over a week or two. Yeah. And he started having other symptoms, like he had started having really bad headaches and insomnia. And he would just, you know, walk away. Like somebody was talking to him, he'd be talking in mid-sentence. He'd just walk off. Yeah. Like he forgot what he was doing. Just leave the conversation. So, yeah, so it's I'm sure he had some kind of severe concussion at the time. Had to, you mm. know, especially the way he was acting. 
you know, she said even like he would be sitting there watching, well, I'm going to say watch TV. <laughs> I guess he was just sitting there, you know, doing whatever. And all of a sudden he would jump up and run, check all his guns, make sure they was loaded like he was paranoid or something. Mm-hmm. And then at one time she actually, Charlie had actually gotten out of bed and had walked outside and she went and she found him in the middle of the cornfield. The corn had already been cut, so it was just stalks. And uh, when I turned and found him, he was out on his knees and it was like going back and forth, like between praying and kind of babbling. And then she noticed that he actually had a shotgun with him that night yeah so that's pretty wild but there was also something about him having a real like a reddish growth or something that was on his chest yes and it was like like a burn that really bothered him but i don't know what it was the size of uh two hands side by side so it's big yeah Mm -hmm. it was often mentioned to others how painful it was what charlie described so that's that's odd to me i wonder what that was i don't know you know and that was there well before the head injury yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe it was just getting, something that was getting worse. Maybe it was something that was really bothering him that nobody really knew about. But this Dr. Hesselbeck, the same doctor who saw Charlie for the head injury, also acted as the coroner and did an ex- examination of Charlie's brain. Yeah, and the thing was, uh, you know, the sheriff, John Taylor, his brother, uh, Dr. Spotswood Taylor, happened to be in town for Christmas, and he was a surgeon at John Hopkins Hospital. And so he... You know, uh, he just happened to be in town. Yeah. yeah, he volunteered to help Dr. Helsebeck with this autopsy. Yes. Which is pretty lucky for him, I think. Mm-hmm. And they concluded that there was no evidence of physical damage from the head injury, from right. that from that matic. But the brain itself showed signs of a low-grade degenerative process. It was kind of smaller, I think. Yeah. Sure. And Dr. Helsebeck basically said there was an unusual spot in the center of Charlie's brain and the brain was sent to John Hopkins University for further study. But there was no, nothing ever come of that. No, even in an interview years later, or, you know, some years later, he said that there was nothing unusual about the brain at all, except Mm-mm. for that, you know, slight undergrowth and in that one spot. Yeah. And some newspapers at the time reported that the murders were due to a fit of insanity caused by the head injury. Yeah, that's just hearsay. That's what they say, yeah. Yeah. But... It doesn't seem like the doctors believed that to be the case. And it was also in 1929. I'm sure any kind of tests were unavailable for any kind of diagnosis. Right. Well, so, I mean, I'm sure they just popped it out and looked at it. Yeah. I mean, there ain't a whole lot of lab work going on. Not in 1929, no. Right. No. But all the family members were given autopsies, too. Yeah, I got questions about that. Yeah, we'll get into that. Now, Dale, there was a book written. It was called white christmas bloody christmas Mm -hmm. and the author states that while they were writing the book they received a call from someone who felt they knew the reason that charlie lawson had murdered his family the woman who contacted them stated that in 1930 she visited the lawson house as a young girl and with her family and received a tour of the house and property and the elderly man given the tour was asked if he knew the reason for the murders and he replied it was because Marie, Charlie's daughter, was pregnant and that Charlie was the father. Hmm. It was uh, an incestuous relationship. Is what he said. Yes. And the man went on to say that Charlie had warned his daughter that if she told anyone that there would be some kind of killing done. Right. That's so, what, what he told his daughter. Do we know who this man is? No. Okay. Now, after the murders, the... A family member of the Lawsons allowed entry into the house for a fee. This is one of uh, Charlie's brother. It is. They were charging, I think, a quarter, a quarter to get in. Yeah, and they also had, like, little pamphlets that they had made, and they were selling those for a quarter mm-hmm. and some other stuff. 
But, you know, a lot of people was like, man, that's pretty, because it was still like it was. I mean, people, but. Bloodstains and everything. Yeah, right after the murder, though, people were coming, as soon as they started to hear about it, they were coming and taking stuff. And, uh, like, I mean, even one people was like, take a jar and get some of the blood off the porch. Even the tree where they found Charlie, the bark had been picked off of it because people wanted a souvenir. Yeah. They were taking bricks off the house and the fireplace and. And they were taking all the damn raisins off that cake. Picking raisins off the cake and taking yeah. them as souvenirs. So they finally had to put a glass thing there before they took all the damn raisins. I know. It's just wild to me. Pretty crazy. But anyway, what I was getting to, he, everybody said that they thought that one of Charlie's brothers was the guy who did this for a fee, but he thought he was helping Arthur get some money so he'd be able to save the farm. Yeah. To try to help him get make a little bit of money off this because he was the only one left. But yeah. Now he, he sent him to town. He was the only one that wasn't killed. And the book goes on to say that a family member corroborated the story with one of her own. Mm-hmm. This was Stella Lawson, who was 12 or 13 at the time of the murders. Heard family members discussing some odd things about her cousin Marie during a gathering a few days after the murders happened. And several years later, one of Stella's aunts finally told her what happened concerning the murders. Right. Now, I've seen a, a video clip with Stella on there, and she actually said it out of her own map that that's what she thought it was. Yeah. Now, I don't know if anybody, that's why I was wondering about the autopsies. There's a way they could approve that if they wanted. Now, according to the aunt, Fanny was, in fact, aware of Marie's pregnancy and had confided in several of her sisters and sisters-in-laws even before the pregnancy. And Fanny had expressed concerns about Charlie and Marie, although exactly what was said was unclear. And one of the sister-in-laws she confided in had passed away on May the 1st of 1928, long before the murders and the alleged pregnancy. So Fanny had seemingly harbored concerns about Charlie and Marie for quite a while. Hmm. They seemed to be some kind of thinking something was going on there. Right. Nothing's proven in everything of this, and we hear different stuff and different things, but it definitely seems like it could be something going on there. Now, this Dr. Hesselbeck, he did a, an autopsy on Marie, and there was no indication of her being pregnant. Hmm. So I don't know if... They didn't put in the autopsy report at the time because it being the you know the 1920s, right? You know it might be a family disgrace or something to, to put that information out there. There was no inform- there was no indication of her being pregnant at all. Wow! So maybe they might not have checked to see if she was pregnant. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that's why I was wondering because um they could have told right then, but like you said, maybe they're just trying to save face on this or something for somehow. I don't know why. Yeah. Now, there was a newspaper article following the murders, and Charlie's surviving son, Buck, stated that his father had always been kind to them, but there were a few accounts to show that Charlie had somewhat of a temper. Oh, yeah. And and was behaving strangely before the murders. It was about a year before the murders had happened. Charlie and his son, Buck, they were at a market delivering a load of tobacco mm-hmm. which was pretty routine for them dale that's how they made the money yeah and while they were there there was a black man pushing a tobacco cart and he bumped into charlie's leg yeah, his name was jesse mcneil yeah and charlie angrily called him out and well, he called him a racial slur too yeah that's what that's reported anyway, yeah so. but anyway yeah and said that uh said something to him and when the guy went to wherever he was going and turned around and come back he actually hit him again yes and this really enraged Charlie. And Charlie lunged at the man, threatening to kill him. Mm-hmm. And they exchanged blows until the man pulled out a switchblade and slashed Charlie several times. Yeah, stabbing him in the head and chest. And the man fled the building, and the police and an ambulance were called. And Charlie spent two weeks in the hospital 
recovering from his injuries. I think at one point they didn't expect him to survive this. No, and Charlotte Observer was saying that uh, it was very serious and with little hope of recovery. Yeah, but he did survive his injuries. He did. And was out in time to go to the court to see uh, Jesse McNeil get sentenced to 18 months on the road gang, or that's usually called the chain gang, working on the side of the road, busting rocks or whatever they do. He made it back in time for that, I guess. He did. But in May of 1929, this was the May before Christmas when they were killed, the murders took place, another incident occurred while Buck, who was then 16-year-old, was helping his father in the tobacco fields. Mm -hmm. And Charlie was criticizing Buck's work, saying that he wasn't doing the work right. And Buck responded saying he was just doing as his father told him. Yep. And Charlie, he got ticked off of this thinking that Buck was talking back to him. Yep. And cut down a small sapling. I guess he was going to give Buck a whooping. He thought he was. And as Charlie prepared to hit Buck, uh, Buck caught the whip and broke it over his knee. Yeah. And he firmly declared it. He caught the stick. Yeah, he yeah. ain't going to whip me today, and you ain't going to whip me ever again. Yeah. Well, they had had a knockdown drag out not long before this where they'd actually come to blows with each other, yeah, you know, and had a big scrap. And I think when you look at the picture of the family photo they made, Buck's a pretty strapping young man. And so I was 16 year old. Yeah, I figured, you know, because they said that, you know, uh, that Charlie did this a lot. He would he'd beat his wife, beat his kids, whatever. You know, he was really strict and really violent. And when he wanted to, he'd just whoop them. And on them, that day, they got into it. They had a big fight, and he told me he wasn't whooping nobody, and he ain't whooping nobody else. He was... And even went so as far as it started sleeping in his clothes, Buck did, in case he needed to get up and protect anybody in the family. He, yeah. He was done with it. He ain't whooping nobody else. Yeah, they ain't going to be no more of this. I figured this day when he pulled that stick out and he told him you wasn't whooping me, he put stick down. He yeah. knew then that he lost control. Because you can look at this picture of the family they had made. Charlie is a lot smaller than his son. Yeah. Buck um, is a big boy. Yeah, he's a little farmer, man. He's yeah. out there working hard, you can tell. That's right. And Dale has also said that in the months before the murders took place, people who were nearby the Lawson farm could hear sounds from the household. Oh, yeah. Charlie was also overheard to have verbalized a threat to his family during at least one of these family fights. Apparently, the arguments were more than just verbal on occasion like we talked about. Mm -hmm. And only one able to handle him when it happened, and that was Buck. You're right. Yep. He'd had enough that was beaten. Yep. But here's something to note, too, that when Charlie had committed suicide after the murders, they looked through his pockets, and there were some pieces of paper that were found in his pockets. It was on the back of an old tobacco bill sale. Yeah. Uh, bill of sale, sorry. And some notes that he had written, and one of them contained the words, trouble will cause. And that's it. Yeah, that's all it said. And the exact wording of the second note varied across different sources, including newspapers. And it either read... Nobody to blame but I, or blame nobody but I, or a similar phrase without the I at the end, suggesting that Charlie may have started writing but decided not to finish it. Yeah, I saw it just said nobody to blame but. Yeah. It didn't have the I on it. Yeah. Yeah, which makes more sense to me if you're going to stop. But he didn't, whatever the notes were, they they weren't finished. Yeah, he didn't finish. And I wonder, if maybe he wrote that while he's walking around around that tree. Could have been. Or, you know, whatever, because that's the only time I would say that he would have time to think about this, what he'd done. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very possible. Hmm. Yeah. Now, inside the Lawson household, there was a clock on the mantel that had stopped at 1.25 p.m., and it was thought that the blast of the shotgun knocked the clock out of alignment, 
and stayed that way until it was eventually restarted. Yeah. That would have been the shot that killed Marie. Yes. You know, when he shot her through the front door back into the house. But there was one source concluded that the clock stopped when Marie was killed and that she was the first one killed inside the house. Well, that would be true. Yeah, and it seems that the killings only took around 20 minutes. And he waited until Buck had left before starting the killing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the question is, why did he send him off? Yeah. I think it's because he knew good and well that he, unless he killed him first, he wouldn't get he wouldn't kill everybody else. That's right. Because Buck had done stood up to him. You know, and some people think, well, maybe he just let him go because he knew he was the only one strong enough to, to continue the farm and all this stuff. I don't know about that. Mm-mm. I think he just he knew what he was going to do, and this was the only way he could figure that he could get it done. Because he had a pocket full of shells when he sent him off. He did. To go get more they wasn't, he wasn't low on ammunition. No. Mm-mm. It was just a, a, good a, ruse. Way, a good way to get him to leave and told him that, and he knew he would go because they all wanted to go right behind him. That was a ruse to get uh, Buck away from the house. Yep. Yeah. And do you think he'd done that just to get back at Buck? Because uh, um, you know, he stood up to him. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to kill everybody and flip, I'm going to kill myself and you're going to be the only one left. And he's going to put up and it's going to be on your mind. Yeah. Why you, that you didn't protect him? It's possible. Because this did weigh on Buck years later. Yeah, it's very possible. I don't know in that in that moment he was thinking, well, I'm going to get back a Buck right here and he's going to be thinking about this the rest of his life. I think he was just, he wanted to take them all out because he had, he had made the damn comment before that he where he said, you know, uh, apparently talking to some of his friends, he said, you know, I wouldn't mind dying, but only if I could take my family with me. So yeah. he had made that comment before. So he, he'd been thinking about this a while, I think. I don't know why, and I don't know where it come from, but I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know that, that getting back at Buck was his motive. I think he was just, he knew that's the only way it could happen. Yeah. I could be wrong. But they did, um, have a funeral for all the family. Ooh, did they? They did. And all the family members were buried in white caskets, except for Charlie, and his was gray, like yes. a light gray. Well, you know why. Yeah. Because they don't have that many caskets no. in stock. So they had light grays because that's the only thing they had left. That's right. And actually, little uh, Mary Lou was buried in her mother's arms in the same casket. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so they dug a... A, a one grave and put all the caskets in the yeah, same it was like a huge trench yeah they did you know it's crazy they said that uh after the funeral and they said so many people came to us like you couldn't get within miles to park to get with that place i mean in all directions it was a, so many people came to that funeral and they said that you know even after the funeral they actually had the caskets open for people coming by they said it took uh, three hours to be able to walk by and look in the caskets i can't yeah. believe they would have them open i can't either Especially their heads bludging in. and Yeah, I mean, it's, I wasn't going to say all that, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, is what I'm thinking. That's, that's what it was. I exactly, mean, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they ended up um, burying them all together. Crazy, man. But Buck did survive, and he ended up uh, living for several years, but he actually. Was, yeah, he had a wife and four kids. He man. did, but uh, he was killed in an automobile accident when he was 31 years old. Yeah, only 31. Leaving behind a wife and four kids, like we said. Man, you think he was like 16 when all this happened. He lost his family, and then almost 16 years later. Yeah. Again, he loses, well, his family loses him. Mm-hmm. Wow. But there's a lot of unanswered questions to this as to why Charlie would have killed his family. Yeah, there's not a ton of information on this. It's such a, I wouldn't say a wild story. It's just 
I don't, we throw the round the word crazy a lot, but this is just a crazy story. Man. But you know, I mean, you were talking and you've watched some um, online interviews with some of the family members, and yeah. some of them are upset because of the the whole incest part of it. Oh yeah, yeah, they they're not happy at all, and they just like wish people would just leave it alone and let the folks rest in peace, and, and they just do not believe at all that that was that was going on. Yeah, and it was also uh, I saw another thing that was kind of like I'm not sure who said it, and it wasn't a family member, but they were talk that the youngest baby uh mary lou was actually marie's baby that they were raising as their own and i guess that would be like if she got pregnant and they were just trying to keep the stigma off them you know from 1929 not like it is now yeah that she had got pregnant and they but i don't know if that's true that was just something i saw mm-hmm. and i don't we we usually don't throw stuff in there but right here we don't really know what's going on no way so why not these are theories that are published online yeah definitely i didn't make it up no uh this ain't this ain't from us this is theories that are online that people have come up with that could be some of the reasons why charlie killed his family right. and himself yeah, and I did like talking about stuff. I did see the actual interview where Stella Lawson, uh, Stella Lawson Bowles, actually, you know, was on camera and said that, you know, that's she really believed that that was going on. That Marie was pregnant by Charlie. Yeah. yeah. And she said, and actually, when they were writing that book, the lady who wrote the book, her and her dad, they talked to as many surviving members of the family around that they could find, and many of them who are deceased now. But Dale, that is our Christmas episode. The Lawson Family Murders, 1929, mm. Germantown, North Carolina. Right. Crazy, man. Yeah. But they, you know, they did write another book. They wrote the, you know, White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, and then later they wrote another one called uh, The Meaning of Our Tears. That's what it was. The Meaning of Our Tears. Yeah, which is uh, what's written on the head zone. Yeah. And there's been a, a lot of murder ballads written about this uh, tale, too. Well, there's at least one uh, right off the bat. They wrote, it came out, uh, it was... March it came out March after this was done. It was called The Laws of Family Murders. Carolina Buddies. Carolina Buddies. All right, Dale, we're gonna get out of here, bud. All right, man. This is that was a pretty rough story. Yeah, it is. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the, the Crack, Crack House, House Chronicles. Chronicles.